Having said that, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. And then we're in Matthew chapter 7 today. Matthew 7. So turn with me, if you would, please, to Matthew 7. If you're new to the Bible, it's right after Matthew 6. Yeah, that was helpful, right? Okay. We pick it up this afternoon in verse 7. Read along with me if you would, please. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Because everyone who, who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. Beware of false prophets. Who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Oh, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad one can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and therefore by their fruits you will know them. Now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, before you go into cardiac arrest, know that it is not my intention to teach through most of that text today. Because there's so much beautiful stuff to look at starting right at verse 7. So go to the Lord with me, if you will, in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you boldly in confidence because we know that we had a high priest who was tempted in every way yet without sin. Your Son, our Savior and Lord. And we recognize today you have an agenda. We are not a task. We are an intentional creation by a God who only makes masterpieces. But upon each of us, as we are your poema, your masterpiece, 
Continue that work today. Chip away, chisel away, grind away what's necessary. That which is not in any way reconcilable to the new life that we have in you. If there be any here within the sound of this voice who have yet to say yes to you, regardless of every wall and tower, resistance built, bust through them all today. And today, in this room, bring salvation. Today, in this room, bring encouragement. Speak life. Speak joy. Speak hope. That we would all conclude this time as we go to your table in communion. May we do so in total confidence and great joy. So, Father, I pray that you immerse me in your Holy Spirit. That you would be seen. That you would fill me with your Spirit. That you would do your work now. And that today in this room, we would interface with you, be transformed by you, redeem every second, captivate us in your word now, captivate every moment. May we have so much fun and let your scripture burst open and come alive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. If I were to title this message, if I might, I might say the asking for what and why. Back in Matthew 6, flip back there for a moment for our context. As a bunch of vagabond Needy people are, in essence, shoveled to their Savior and transformed by touch. Jesus sits and his disciples sort of emerge out of, and hear me on this, they emerge out of the mass, the multitude. All of a sudden we start to see two groups. The large, massive group who can say with confidence that they've experienced Christ. They've been healed. They've been touched. They've been transformed in some way physically. But they're still going to die. And for some of you who have been touched by Christ in such a more eternal way, you might be struggling with the same things you've seen them delivered by and be frustrated. But as Jesus sits down, emerging from that multitude, are his students. Those who want so much more than salvation, but transformation, eternal purpose. And they want so much more than just, yeah, I met Jesus and he gave me a get out of hell free card. But they want their entire life to reflect it. And as he walks them through now what it means to be different from the multitude. And again, understand, the multitude is not the multitude of unbelievers, the multitude of heathens, the multitude of uh, heathens, the Gentiles, but rather the multitude of people who can say they've experienced God in one manner or another. And he looks at them and this is the group he calls blessed. This is the group he actually calls in such a way that it's Very, very different. And by the time we get to Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, and look at that with me, Jesus starts to tell us that priority is very, very different now. And he tells us now that there is going to be two choices in those priorities, to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal, or to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he tells us that there's going to be one choice or the other. That's really the truth. You really can't serve both masters. And either you're going to have to choose your allegiance to that which is eternal, to him who is eternal, or you're going to have to choose it to that which is here. 
But if I'm going to now invest eternally, and that's what he's talking about. I mean, think of it this way. It's as if the Lord Jesus transformed and cleared out your faith bank account from all of its debt, from all of its grief, its sin. But now you have the rest of your life to invest. And in having the rest of your life to invest, he's saying you have two places to invest it, either simply a temporary thing here on earth or an eternal thing. But if I were to, to choose to become a disciple, so much more than just someone who said, again, we've experienced God. And now I want to invest, invest eternally. My first and foremost prize is my walk with him. Nothing can be more important. Now, please hear me. I know that most of you here kind of look and kind of go, duh, when you hear that. We can look and go, of course, in this room we have our Christian costumes on. We know how to play it out. We know how to look Christianish. But the rest of your life will be a series of, of investments that will display where your allegiance truly lies. What would we give up for this? What part of our walk would we be willing to let suffer for something we think that the world has to offer? But if I am going to make my allegiance with this king, well then, first and foremost, my walk with him must be the most important thing in my life. Which means anything that interferes, must be willing, I must be willing to allow Jesus to perform the surgery, to perform, if you will, an obstacleectomy, to remove every obstacle from my life. But if I really am going to obtain then the heart of Christ in this, though my walk must be primary, your walk must be secondary. Oh, that's the rough part. Because if I really am going to look like Jesus, if I really want to look like Jesus, well then let's be honest. That means that first and foremost, my walk with him has to be right. But if my walk with him has to be right, well then I have to look and then I start to see things from his perspective. And the moment I do, your walk is second important to me. And that changes everything, because if that's the way that Jesus says investment looks like this. Lay up your treasures on in heaven, not here. Everything has to be governed by that. And now, as I'm looking at Jesus and I'm saying, please make this right, get rid of anything, anything, and restructure and reformat, reprogram everything, <clears throat> and then in some way interferes with that so that there is nothing but you and me in the core of this. The moment that that kind of settles, then I look around and I see you very differently. And I have to be willing to make the enemies that I will make when I have to tell the truth. And I have to be willing to interfere in the way that I have to interfere. But I have to do it all with the purpose of wanting your walk with Christ to be the second most important thing in my life. And then everything else is relatively irrelevant in comparison. It's my walk is primary, your walk is secondary, and everything else in comparison is irrelevant. That's the way it looks. And if I don't capture that in chapter 6, I will do what almost every other person does when they get to the text we look at today, which is completely abuse it. Every time I've heard this text teach outside of the walls, and I'm not saying we're doing it right and everyone else is doing it wrong, because I don't hear everyone teach, but I hear a few, and when I hear them, I cannot believe how many people take this and run someplace that is not where God intended. Now think about it. This morning you woke up and you were in a cot. You were possessed. You were paralyzed. You were an emotional basket case. You were a total mess when you woke up this morning and someone loved you enough to grab you and take you to Jesus. And now you're like, who in the world am I? I want to remind you, this which is taking us months to get through took Jesus, if you will, roughly about 40 minutes to get through. So all this that we're swallowing... Understand, the reason why we slow down is because, to be honest, we're, we're not giving audience in the same way they are. I mean, they, it all happened in that day, and they're like, who in the world? Could you imagine the moment that you gave your life to Christ, Jesus sat down with you and taught you, Matthew 5-7? through 7. <coughs> Imagine how mind-blowing that would be. And if I am now going to be right with the king, then I'm into his deployment. And if I'm to his deployment, I'm an ambassador. And if I'm going to be an ambassador, I'm going to be an ambassador of your, your restoration, reconciliation. 
Interesting, Paul knew that when he said that in 2 Corinthians 5.20, when he said, Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Could you imagine if we really, I mean, what if we just swallowed that jagged pill and it took over us in regards to our modus operandum from this point on? And just that alone. Or if we just swallow that and said, you know, from this point on, I want to make my walk with Christ first, your walk with Christ second, and everything else tertiary at best. How would that change almost everything that I do? So, I get to chapter 7 and we're in an application. I can't possibly condemn and judge everyone and expect to reconcile them. You can't do both. I can't possibly be plank-eyed and expect to reconcile others because I would be busy looking for specks with a plank in my own. But I also recognize I can't reconcile everyone. I can't reconcile the swine and the dogs. Though I will be throwing pearls, though I'll be seeking to give what is holy, it'll still be tramped upon. It'll be considered irrelevant, foolish, worthless. And then they'll turn and tear me to pieces. And you too. But if I am an ambassador and that becomes what consumes me now as purpose, I will become an opportunist. And there's the point. James 3.18 says, by the way, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It tells us in Proverbs 11.30 that the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Listen, the fruit of righteousness. Do you know what that means? That means the fruit of you being right with Jesus. The fruit of you being right with God is that you become a tree of life. Listen to that again. The fruit of righteousness. The fruit of being right with God is that you become a tree of life. And it says, and he who wins souls is wise. The tree of life you become is one that wins souls. There's the point. In seeking to see others restored to their king, I must never compromise on the narrowness or else it's not really restoration. And that's why I wanted to read the whole text before we dive in now to the text. Because I wanted you to see that Jesus goes from this text to entering by the narrow gate. And if I'm going to seek to restore you, if you're going to seek to restore others, I cannot compromise on the narrowness of that restoration just as much as a doctor cannot compromise on the proper medication to see you restored to health. And you should be thankful that they're closed-minded when it comes to what is proper. So Arena is ill. This is hypothetical. She goes to the doctor, but the doctor's a little more open-minded. And he says, you know, I'd really like to tell you what's wrong with you, but I really don't want to appear judgmental. I really don't want to kind of ruffle your feathers. I just want to be your friend. I just want to be your friend. And Rena's like, you're no friend if you don't give me help because I came here for help. And he knows that if he tells her how ill she is, hypothetically, she may turn to him and go, who do you think you are, Mr. Healthier Than Thou? I bet you get sick. I bet you get challenges. I bet you get flu. But he risks it and he tells her. And she's startled at his prognosis, at his diagnosis. But then she turns and she says, is there any hope? Is there any help? And he says, yes, there is. But traditionally, there's this one thing. Hear me. There's this one thing and it's always worked. This one thing and it's always worked. As long as you're willing to let it get in you, it's, got, it's always worked. It's never failed. However, it's, you know, it doesn't taste very good to take. Oh, that's a little bit of a problem. Some people don't like it because of that. It's a little bit bitter. That's a rather bitter. So I have this other stuff here, by the way. It's basically a flat grape Fanta. It tastes a lot better. And you could drink this if you want. And I just kind of think maybe if you drink it, you're going to be okay. Because in the end of it all, what do you really like? What do you really like? Oh, you like milkshakes. Well, actually, I, well, let me go make you a milkshake and just try this. But drink it in hopes that you'll be better and assume you're healing from this milkshake. Sooner or later, that doctor should be properly sued for his lunacy of just trying to think, well, I just didn't want to give her something she didn't like. I didn't want to give her something that 
might offend her taste buds. But in the end of it all, what he's doing is he's compromising on the cure to try to make friends. So that in the end of it, what he has is a dead friend instead of a well patient. And Jesus tells us, I want to warn you. There will be pigs and dogs, and pigs and dogs have no interest, by the way, in the very thing that you want to administer. And they will, unless things repent, they're going to, they're going to die in their sin. However, you, you sat, you've come forward the moment Jesus sat down. You've come forward, and I want you to know, there is a necessity to being willing to uncompromise with the narrow things. Repentance is necessary for restoration. You can't just take a person, a guy's beating his wife, and then he's like, well, you guys need to be restored. But if he doesn't stop beating his wife, you're not restoring that couple. You're restoring her to madness. But we can talk to an individual and go, you need to be restored to God. My heart is bleeding over this. You need to be restored. And they're like, stop telling me all of this stuff. And he's like, well, these changes need to happen if you really want to see restoration. And then they turn green in the face and get angry. And it's like you're kind of charging at the bull here. And Jesus says, listen, there's something in between that narrow path. And the part of really having that heart to not judge but see restoration. To not just look for specks and be a speck hunter, but rather make sure that you've dealt with yourself first because those who are spiritual should restore. And that's what we get in our text. So understand, in that context then, we have verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. And here's the crazy part. Usually, when I, if I were ever to turn on the television and know that someone's going to start opening up this text, there's usually an uh-oh in my spirit right away. The same way that one of these guys, when they have that look on their face and they're walking towards you. All of my friends are like that. They have that smile and I'm like, uh-oh. Something bad's going to come from this. Oh, those are great friends. But if this really were in that context, this wouldn't be, oh, you walked by that Bentley outside, didn't you? Well, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. So could you imagine? You walk by the Bentley, you came in here, you walked out there and you're knocking on the Bentley door. Well, you know, maybe they give them in prison. I don't know. I'm not aware of that here. But hear me on this. What if the context, what if we took it in context? In the context, it's this. You really don't want to see people condemned. What you want to see is people restored to the king, not just to yourself, first and foremost, to the king. Because let's face it, if they're not restored to the king, how are you going to find proper restoration? And you really want to see them there, so you're asking. Now listen, James, who by the way, I kind of like James because he's kind of one of those people that gives you what I would call nosebleed truth. You know, one of those kind of guys, they're like, let me tell you the truth. Bam! You know, and you're like, okay, sure, go ahead, go ahead, let me get a tissue. You know, and it's like, and he goes, listen, you know what you don't have? And it's interesting, people quote half the verse and not the rest. You don't have because you don't ask. Right? And that's usually where they stop. He says, but you know why you don't have still? Because you really don't ask, but it says properly, you ask amiss. Now people say, well, that's because you're asking, you're praying the wrong prayer. But it says, listen, that you would spend it on your own pleasures. And then he says, adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enemy with God? Is enmity with God? Do you realize what James is saying? Because you know why you don't have? Because you're asking for you. But you're asking as if you're to be the end of it all. You want to become a storehouse of God's blessings. And let me just be honest. In all of my years of walking with Jesus, it's taken the last few years here for me to realize that everything that I should be asking for should be so that the blessing would come through me, not just to me. God, give me mercy. I've asked that a million times. Well, relatively. You know, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. I don't exaggerate. Anyways, <clears throat> when you're like, God, give me mercy. Give me grace. Give me peace. Give me joy. Give me love. And I'm asking for these things. And it's taken me to the last three years to realize, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I should be asking this so I can issue it to you too. God, give me peace so I can offer peace. Give me mercy so I can offer mercy. Because otherwise, I'm doing what James says. Look, at you're just asking for you. And in the end of all, what you want is stuff from the world, and you're declaring war on God to do that. And yet people will take this text and use it the same way to kind of to bolster the opposite, to bolster that whole, oh, just ask God and He's going to give it to you. It doesn't matter what it is. It does matter what it is. But if what I saw was what John tells me in 1 John, listen, in 1 John 5, it's a questionable text only because we don't read it carefully. 
Listen to what it says. If anyone sees a brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, and you go, whoa, 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 Pesutuni, I know, First John 5.16, how does sin not lead to death? Doesn't all sin lead to death? But he tells us a sin. He says you should, you should ask, is what he should do. Funny, that's exactly what Matthew's telling us here, Jesus telling us through Matthew in Matthew 7. He goes, look, now there is sin that leads to death. I'm not just saying you should simply ask about that. And hear me, the way it kind of goes is this. You see someone, a brother or a sister, and they do something, and you kind of go, well, that's sin. And what do you do? You pray. You ask. Now, what are you asking for? Asking for them to get hit by a train? Asking for them for the judgment train to come pulling into the station? Or were you praying for the restoration? So what happens is the first time I see something, hypothetically, Mike, I, I kind of walk by and I see Mike doing something questionable. So I'm looking at Michael and I'm going, Mike, I don't know. Now, I am praying. Now, in that time of prayer, I'm going, God, restore Michael. Clearly, this behavior is not consistent with a tight walk with you. But understand, any time we are praying, we are volunteering for God's deployment. I mean, I'm not just praying in my prayer closet. My prayer closet is God's wardrobe closet. So I'm down on my knees in that prayer closet. Jesus opens up the other side and he goes, what should I put on now? And I should be like, pick me, pick me. Not just God, fix my problems. I'm just going to kneel until you fix it. So I'm praying. Now, at that moment, the Lord may say, well, then go speak with Michael. Or the Lord may not. But I am available. But he says, if you see that consistently... That's sin that's leading to death because now it's not a sin, but it's becoming a lifestyle. The moment it becomes consistent, at that point, <coughs> I have to approach him. He goes, at that point, you, but here's the cool part. I am never approaching somebody I haven't prayed for. Does that make sense? Because I'm asking first. There's the point. Now, back in our text. In our text, Jesus is looking at a group of people, I remind you, who this morning we woke up and everybody condemned us because of our condition. Whatever that condition was. And now Jesus looks at us and he goes, now listen. If your heart is going to be my heart, and if you're going to be my students, and a student's going to be like his teacher, my heart is, I came to die to give people life. How are you going to be like that? If that's where my life is, and that's my example, and you're going to the school of Jesus, well, then you should expect to graduate, and you're not going to graduate with honors and be selfish. It can't be about you now. I'll make it about you, Jesus speaking. You make it about me, and let's work this out. So, ASK. Now, did you notice it's an easy acronym, ASK, SEEK, KNOCK, because the letters spell ASK, right? That makes it easy, right? ASK, SEEK, KNOCK. Now, in the, in, the, in the verbiage, it's important to know in the grammar, it's ASK and keep asking, SEEK and keep SEEKING, KNOCK and keep KNOCKING. We get that. Matter of fact, in the Luke countertext to this, the whole point of it is how, the consistent asking of it. But let me just kind of bring out, did you notice there's a progression? You know, Jesus will say later on to watch and pray. There's kind of the idea, right? And when he talks about the end times, we should watch and pray. Interesting here, he's telling us to pray and watch. Because the idea of it is, is that let's, let's go back to our illustration with, with Michael again. And with Michael, I am praying, but I'm praying because my heart's for his restoration, right? So I'm asking, Lord, restore this guy. Get him to a tighter walk with you. Do that. And so I'm, I'm there and I'm praying. But then as I'm praying, maybe I'm not in a situation where I'm right next to him. Maybe I saw it you know, from a distance or I heard something or whatever and I'm getting on my knees and I'm praying. And as I'm praying, I'm being available. But now as I'm praying, I'm looking for opportunities. That's that second part, seeking. Now again, this is not, I want a Bentley, so now I should start walking around you know, so the Bentley store or whatever. Now what it is, is I want to see people restored. And in seeing people restored... I want to start as I'm praying and I'm going, God, open up these doors. I should expect God to move. And as I expect God to move, I'm looking. That's my second step. It's amazing because we're like, oh, God, fix this problem. I'm going to just sit here and wait. And we're not going to the second step. But if, I'm gonna, if, I, but if I really want to, you know, to, to be genuine and not pretend like I care for Michael, I'm going to want to be available and go, God, show me opportunities, whatever that means. Because if it's important to you, whether you know it or not, you'll be an opportunist. It doesn't matter who you are, you're an opportunist to something. It is amazing. I have a friend who's almost legally blind, but that person can find a Krispy Kreme store like this when we drive by 
It doesn't matter. It could be, it's like, it's like spider sense for Krispy Kremes. Now, I mean, there is, there used to be one, I don't know if it is still, but it was one that was by a, 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 a cinema, and it's completely obscured by trees. And the first time they came here, they came and were like, he's like, I can smell Krispy Kremes. I'm like, what? I mean, there's like a, and with all due respect, there's sort of a homeless guy behind us, and, and, and that's what I'm smelling, you know. And there's like all kinds of other smells happening on the bus. But he's smelling, he's got this, woo, crispy thing. And it's like, the whole idea of it is, he was on opportunity, he's like, well, you know, I don't care where we're going, pull the buzzer thing, we need to get off. We need to go find that Krispy Kreme. And he would be like, you know, it's like, guide my sword, you know, he just... I think it's this way. And I'm like, hold on, we're walking into a busy, you know. But in, in, and, and the reason I say that is that for him was a big deal. The things that are important to us, we become opportunists to. And to be honest, it becomes one of the truest proofs of where our heart really lies. Is where we're really, and Jesus showed us that, by the way, in the last chapter, what we're really seeking. What opportunities? Hey, when a guy's in love, he will introduce her into every conversation. It doesn't matter what it is. You can say, hey, I just heard about all of these people getting mangled and it was this horrible thing in this earthquake and people were sucked in. He goes, that just reminds me of getting sucked into the joy of being with my... It's like you can almost play those games, you know, where you can try to find the most horrifying thing to see how they're going to twist it back the other way. What's amazing is people do that with sin. We know that, right? Is there anything... I mean, can I just say as adults, is there anything people can't twist to make about sex? I mean, no matter what you say, it's like, oh, I'm going to go tie my shoe. Oh, he's the tie shoe. Oh, you know what that means. It's amazing how you can do that. But we don't do that with Jesus. It's like, I mean, if I really was had a heart to see people restored to God, wouldn't I kind of go, speaking of which, and people go, I don't know how to break the ice. You knew how to break the ice when it was in the other direction. I mean, how do we break the ice and go, you know, that reminds me. I mean, let's face it, people are making it easy for us. They're saying his name every time they hit themselves. I mean, how much more of an open door do you need than that? Speaking of him, you know, imagine they're like, well, they're going to think I'm a lunatic and they're already having a bad day. Well, then make it better. They're at Sainsbury's. They drop. I mean, it's like their kid grabs a bag of crisps and throws it on the floor. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, hey, funny you should say that. I love that guy. And she looks at me like I threw the crisps on the floor. And I'm like, oh, it looks like you're having a rough day with your kid. And now she's looking like, who are you to win true? And I'm like, can I just pray for you? I mean, I want to pray in faith that your kid is amazing for the rest of the time here. I want to challenge, challenge me to pray that. So I did. And he was screaming and yelling. And from that moment on, I prayed for laryngitis. But I didn't pray that out loud. <clears throat> and I'm like, God, make the kid fall asleep. And it was amazing. I was like, next time she came around the next aisle and the kid was like, like that and the thing. And I'm kind of looking. And she's like, mm. funny, I got invisible. But here's the point of it. It's like, if, if we really cared, wouldn't we look for those open doors? But that's not just it. It's a three-step. This isn't the two-step. This is not the cha-cha. Well, first of all, we're praying. We're asking. God, give me open doors. Then we're seeking. We're seeking open doors. But the door doesn't open until you knock. So you know what happens? You've got to initiate. Now, I'll be honest with you, and this might be hard for you to swallow. I'm actually a relatively very shy guy. I don't like to approach strangers. And I didn't have a problem punching them, but speaking to them kindly, well, that's a new thing for me. So, <clears throat> but I'm like, Lord, you know my personality. So could you help me with this? It's just that initial moment. After that, I can steer it. It's just that initial moment. So usually my evangelism, when I'm walking in Camden, I'm like, Lord, you know who I am. So this is my prayer. I'm asking you now for whatever opportunities you want to provide. But in those opportunities, would you please run me into someone? And if you run me into them, I'm going to knock on that door. I'm going to seek those opportunities, but I'm seeking to be with you and then make it convenient. Not because I wouldn't want it to be inconvenient, but because I just want it to be, I want to be confident. But please don't let me just talk to somebody that's just going to want to be goofy. Let it be someone that you know fruit's going to be born from. And there are nights where I'm just walking with the Lord and I can't call that some kind of lack of success because I'm walking with the Lord all night and praying. There are other nights where it's like I can't take a step without running into someone. So I'm like, oh, well, I just ran into you. I'm like, funny, you should run into me. I was just praying you would run into me. And that, of course, usually freaks people out. But this is Camden. That's fun. 
And what Jesus is saying, listen, what Jesus is saying is, if this really were important to you, wouldn't you commit yourself to it? I mean, are you just kind of stick a toe in and say you swam? So look it. We're not going to condemn. Because what I don't want is to go, you're going to hell, because how in the world does that help me restore them to the king? I could say, your behavior is, you know, let's deal with it. And I want to separate the problem from the person and say, these things are issue and these things need to be dealt with. And as these things are being dealt with, are you willing to reconcile them and call them bad before God? If we're willing to call them bad, then let's seek to get restored to God through this. Because Jesus paid for this. And as long as I could say this, I could say Jesus paid for this. He paid for you. This is what killed him. This was why he's on the cross. And it makes sense now. But he goes from that, interesting now, to this. Do you still not have enough faith to ask? You're like, well, I mean, God, would God really respond? He goes, let me ask you. You all had dads. And I find it interesting that's where he went. He could have said a groom to his wife. He could have said a friend to another. Hey, you're kind of with your buddies. The problem is Jesus knows guys. And sometimes you could ask him for a, hey, can I have a piece of bread? Sure. And they hit you with a rock. That's kind of guy behavior sometimes. It's a fallen world. I'm sure Adam didn't do that before the fall. But I couldn't. I, I, it haunts me. Let me tell you why it haunts me. Because a year ago, Jesus was in the wilderness. And the enemy came to him. And you know the first words we read, he said, if you're the son of God, that's your dad now. Turn this stone to bread. I think it's really interesting. And, and because the enemy, according to the book of Revelation, is the accuser. Matter of fact, the word devil literally is accuser or slander. Matter of fact, you're probably aware that in Titus 2, when it talks about women in any form of profile, they cannot speak bad of others because the word is used as devil, slanderer. They can't be slanders. And again, that's someone who speaks evil of others. And what's interesting is that the slanderer came to Jesus in his first line of approach. And all three representations, all the, all the representations, all three Gospels that it's listed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He starts with the bread thing. And can you just see the accuser saying, hey, I thought you were the son of God. I thought your dad loved you. If your dad loved you, where's the bread? And if your dad loved you, why aren't you getting what you, you know? I mean, let's be honest. This is something. This is a need now. This isn't a want. This isn't like I thought, you know, God loved you. Why don't you have the iPhone 6? We're talking about, you know, hey, this is, this is about living now. This is about surviving. So what's up with this? I mean, I thought he really loved you. And I wonder if somewhere in all of that, of course, Jesus obviously has to reconcile that. But imagine him now speaking this. And I think it's really interesting. And he says, so look, at if you asked your father for bread, would he give you a stone? And I wonder how long Jesus asked the father for bread and didn't get it. And I think, what an interesting thing. But he's like, but, but I trust you. I trust you. Come what may, I trust you. Come what may, I trust you. And if it's going to be a stone, it's going to be a stone. I know, I know it will be bread someday. And there's the key. I just don't know when. It isn't like the father said, Jesus, all right, you're going to be tempted for 40 days. We don't read anywhere that Jesus had any clue how long he's going to be tempted. And that's, of course, the problem, right, with us. I mean, if we knew that the Lord was putting us to test and it was going to last for three days, we would good. We just say, all right, got to make it through the three days. The problem was we just don't know when it ends. So we're like, oh, man, when is this going to end? Going to keep moving, going to keep moving forward, going to keep moving forward. <coughs> and it will come to us. When? I, I really don't know. But what's interesting is he only lists two. Now, in Luke, he'll list three, including you ask for an egg and he'll give you a scorpion. That's always kind of fun to me. I was thinking, you know, kind of sick-minded person. Oh, what do you want, scrambled eggs? How about a plate full of scorpions? Kind of sick dad, right? I get that. But the two things he speaks of here, and now understand, a rock isn't dangerous unless it's thrown or unless you eat it. That probably can't be good either. But the second case gets worse. You ask for fish. And they'll give you a serpent. The word that's used there is about a, the kind of dangerous water serpent. And it's definitely venomous and it's definitely lethal. But what's interesting is the two things that Jesus chose to give us. And he could have said anything. He said, you know, you ask him for some hummus and he gives you, you know, toxic slime. I mean, he could have given you anything there. But he chose these two things. And I think it's interesting because the two things Jesus chose will be the two things Jesus will multiply himself twice in this gospel. 
And that's fish and loaves. I think that's interesting. But he looks and he says, now look at If there is a hint of God before the fall, still in every human being, as perverted as it may be, the appetites are still the right appetites, they're just the wrong menus. If that's really where it is, and you see an evil human being being kind to their children with their needs, can't you trust the perfect, infinitely kind God, who is now your father, to take care of what you need? I mean, he told him about that last chapter, and now he's going, but this context is different. The context now is, you're asking because I want to see Michael Wright. I want to see David Wright. I want to see a Rena healthy. And I'm looking at that, and he goes, now, what are you asking for? God, get them or God, make them right. And that's where we're on our knees. He goes, well, what about the swine? And what about the dogs that don't care about those things? Well, it's like, well, then God, give them a species transplant. But until then, I'm going to stay on my knees. And there are people that I've been praying for for decades. But I am trusting that God will do as he does. And I'm available. And there are times where I'm like, God, I'm available. And God says, the best thing you can do is to sit still, Junior. And sometimes the most profound thing that God says through me often is nothing. Those moments when I really have it all lined up and I'm ready to open fire and God pulls every bullet out of my magazine. And I'm like, oh yeah? Never mind. There are those moments where you're trying to share with somebody and you had it, man. You had the death blow. But then you reach back and you're like somewhere in there and you can't find it anymore. And you're like, come on, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And you're like, kind of just kind of quieted down. You ever realize that sometimes that's divine? And then you walk away and you're like, oh, and God's like, yeah, I took it away. I took it away. Because you're like, well, that would convince me, but you weren't arguing with you. And I love that. And then he moves from that to this last bit. <coughs> and now we're almost done, by the way, because the text was small. But we're about to go to the table of the Lord. And so I don't want to miss this. Therefore, Verse 12, whatever you want men to do to you. Now, could you imagine? <coughs> we go with this. We try to take it that kooky way. David really wants to be given a theater called the David Birch Theater right downtown so he can charge 242 pounds per ticket. The David Birch Theater, and he really wants it. The David Birch Theater. But he tells all of his friends who are in the business, don't worry, if I get it, I'll hire you. For what? I don't know. For the giant cast of something that I'll have to, right? But I, I really want it. So I'm going to demand it of God, and that's not an idol, because now I'm just telling God what to do, and he's my divine bellhop. Ding, yes, how may I help you, right? It's like, it's like David's running, rubbing his Bible, like God's going to pop out and go, oh, how can I help you, right? And, and he's like, all right, God, well, no, and I'm not going to seek. And so David's praying, and he's praying, and now David's walking around London. He's looking around. Where's the theater going to be? I know I'm going to find it. God's going to show me, <clears throat> right? And then all of that. And then it's like, okay, yeah, oh, there's one. I tell you what, I'm going to go steal everything from Juan's house and get 35 pounds for it and then I'm going to put that down as a deposit on this place because I know where it is and oh, I'm ready oh this is it I see it and I'm going to do that and I get it because after all God I'm asking you for bread and you're not going to give me a stone I'm asking you for fish you're not going to give me a, you know a snake I get it right now and then God says yes now whatever you want other people to do to you do to them and you go uh what how does that play out how does that play in it because it doesn't if that's where you're going to take it. If this is about God, give me, give me, give me, give me. Well, then it's like, how does that play now? But if it were, I want to see you restored because what you really want, if you just go, just look inside yourself. What would you, how would you want him to treat you? Now I'm looking and go, well, that's how I want to treat Michael now. That makes perfect sense. Because now what we did is we didn't take the arm bone and stick it out of your head. We actually put it in the proper place of the skeleton. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, 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 have this heart with me. Have this heart that beats in my chest, Jesus speaking. Jesus didn't come to earth so you could go to heaven. Jesus came to earth so you could be reconciled to him. Heaven was the product, part of the product of it. 
Jesus didn't die so you could say, well, by his stripes, I'll never get the flu. Jesus didn't die for you so that you could say, well, you know, in Jesus' name, as long as I say Jesus' name, that's like, poof, well, well, abracadabra, well, certainly every, well, in and I'm going to knock on that door. It's going to be open because that door is the David Birch Theater. But could you imagine we spend our whole life going, oh, Jesus, I'm totally yours, and I've had your heart, and I totally love you. And he's like, but look at all the doors you spent knocking on. How do they in any way reflect my heart? He's like, you know, I just came to die so others could have life. I crawled into your world. I died there so you could have life. You kind of got that. And now here you are with me. And I want to send you to represent me. Well, how exactly are they going to see you, see me and you? By you doing this. In places that have no purpose in eternity. Now, I'm not telling you quit your job, take all benefits, and then go and... I'm telling you... If you're on your knees and saying, Lord, I'm available, but I want to look for opportunities through that prayer because what I want to see is people made right with you. You know, I think the worst part is I think most of the church knows that the Lord will respond and we're almost afraid to ask. God, give me those opportunities then. Stick them in my way so that it's harder to not obey you than to obey you. It's harder to ditch around the truth than it would be just to simply tell them the gospel. Because no person is restored to God without it. No person is restored to God through a coat. No person is restored to God through any act of kindness, through any great dance, through any great performance, unless the gospel is what's being administered. Because it is the, not a, but the power of salvation unto those who believe. So, back to Arena's situation, we can wrap this up and pray. Whether that is something to be drank or something to be injected or something to be rubbed in her eyelid or whatever it's going to be, however the medicine is administered, as long as the medicine gets to where it needs to go, she could be cured. So, whatever you're gifted in, that is your hypodermic. Whatever you're gifted in, well, that's your applique, if you will. Use it. Well, you go, well, what is the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, just like mine, just as Scripture promised. He was buried. And on the third day, just as Scripture promised, he rose again. Savior and Lord. There it is. And that's what he asks. He says, will you give me permission now to revolutionize you? That's it. Now, that was pretty simple, right? It was supposed to be. You're like, but if you really trust it, you don't have to doll it up. Just let God take whatever he's gifted you with and become the applique for that gospel. And watch what happens. And for the believer, the brother and sister that you see around you, and you see them kind of veering in some direction, get on your knees and then seek opportunities. And as you seek opportunities that God provides, then knock, initiate. Because let's face it, if they're not walking with the Lord, why would they initiate? What they're initiating is their destruction. Initiate restoration. So as we go to prayer, let me ask you, saints, am I the only one in the room that needs God to totally rake through my heart properly, purge from it anything that is an allegiance to some form of comfort or convenience that keeps me from doing what the Lord really wants me to do here? Am I really willing to pray the dangerous prayer that God, that God could come in like a SWAT team and just start filling full of holes everything that needs to be filled full of holes? That he could bring the wrecking ball where he needs to bring it? Because what if today we let him? Could you imagine what would happen? We'd start to see the revolution we're hungry for. Because it has to start here before it goes outside of me. There's the point. But lastly, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or you're not sure, I'm going to give you that choice today. And then once we've prayed, we'll stand. And we'll, anyone who has said yes to Jesus, we're going to have communion together. So pray with me, would you please? <coughs> Lord, <clears throat> I want to thank you for this beautiful text. I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege again of being able to open your word and expect you to speak. I want to thank you, Lord, that you could be about anything, but you are about saving, restoring, transforming. I'm aware of that. 
And I recognize today, Lord, in this room right now, we may be in various stages with you. There may be some who've never really reconciled the gift you've given them at the cross. There may be some who've reconciled that but are so comfortable with it that they don't realize how you want to use us to change other people and bring them to the cross. But Lord, I pray today that you would shake us, that you would set a fire where it's cold, that you would come in, Lord, to what we would lock up and make your home in our hearts in such a way, Lord, that you would create a revolution inside of us that will become contagious to the rest of the world. So, Lord, we want to give you permission here. We want to give you permission to do what you need to do inside of us to make us the agent of change you want to make in the world around us. Whatever you need to change, whatever you need to, to, to remove, whatever you need to reinstill or Sometimes it's about an issue of removing it and then reinstalling it. Well, Lord, as dangerous as a prayer this is, we want to give you that option. We, in essence, we just want to give you permission to do what you really want to do. So for the believers in this room, those that have already said yes to you, we want to say right now, yes. Yes to your work in our lives. Get our eyes off of us. And put, them, put our heart upon you where it belongs. Make our walk with you the foremost thing. And then make our heart one like yours to see everyone else's walk second. And to this, as believers, giving you license to free work in our lives, we say, Amen. And if you agree with that, believers, give me a good, strong Amen. And Lord, we pray right now if there be any in this room who have yet to say yes to you. Maybe they've seen the blabbing and grab it, the people who are running just trying to get you to serve them instead of them become your servants. Lord, pray, today I pray that you would cut through all of that nonsense and show them the person that you are and your desire to have that relationship with them. And in that, Lord, now do your work. And for those of you in this room, that to this applies. I'm going to pray a prayer. I ask you to listen. And at the end of it, I ask you to give a confident, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, all right, I've heard the prayer, and I agree with it. Let that be mine now. And here it is. God in heaven, I'm a sinner, like all men are sinners. And because of that, someone has to pay for those crimes. In my heart, Lord, I'm so much worse off than I would pretend. So, because you love me and want me completely, You've paid for those, every one of those things in my heart. You paid for them by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And there, he volunteered to pay my debt. And as he died, my bill, my debt, my ledger was cleared. But that's not the end of the story. Just like you promised on the third day, he rose again from the grave, offering me a new life, one in freedom, not under the tyranny of my own flesh, but now one under your love to allow you to be, make me the masterpiece you intended for me to be from very creation. So I say yes. I say yes to Jesus. Yes to his gift on the cross for my sins. Yes to his resurrection as the Lord of my life. I hand myself over and say, be my father now and make me yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen.